if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. On a Tuesday, the third morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And let's hope to goodness gracious, 2023 offers us something considerably better than 2022 left us. Um, Wow. This is an extraordinary news morning. So many very, very important things going on, and we're going to do our best to cover them all for you. Uh, The new Congress is getting sworn in today, the new Ohio General Assembly as well. The new Speaker of the United States House of Representatives is going to be decided upon. The new Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives is going to be decided upon. There is a coup in the making in the Republican Party of the state of Ohio. The GOP is working with Democrats to try to undermine the conservative person who was elected or chosen by the Ohio GOP, Derek Marin, to be the new speaker. We're going to cover that uh, as far as we can. Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes. We're going to cover that as far as we can as well. The Idaho killer, alleged killer, uh, was stopped twice on his cross-country journey after the killings from uh, Idaho, technically from Washington, all the way to Pennsylvania, and nobody knew anything. Um, and, of course, we have what happened last night, and we're going to be talking about all of it this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. A good morning to you. We're going to do our best, seriously, to give each of these the uh, requisite attention and amount of time that we can 
Uh, but just know that there's a there's a lot to get into, and we're going to do our best. Peter Kirsten and I will be with me in an hour to work through some of this, uh, as he is each and every Tuesday and has been for the last eight years now, I believe. Uh, at 11.10, Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network is going to join us with the latest on what's going on in Columbus, as noted by way of the General Assembly and this coup d'etat against the chosen and selected and elected, really, uh, Speaker-elect Derek Marins. We're going to get into that with him. And, of course, I will welcome your phone calls. You need to make this the best year yet for Always Right Radio. And you can do that by not just listening, but by participating. Be a part of the discussion. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, be a part of the discussion. 440, or excuse me, I almost gave you my home phone number. <laughs> That's not good. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Be a part of these things as we go. Now, before we start talking about what happened last night um, in Cincinnati in just a horrific, horrific event um, with a National Football League player, a 24-year-old healthy young man, collapsing in the middle of a football game, his heart stopping, him needing CPR for nine minutes. Nine minutes they, they worked to restart his heart before finally getting it restarted and then trans, transporting him to the hospital where he remains now intubated and in critical condition. I've got a lot of, uh, of very important points that we're going to discuss about that in just a moment. And since I don't want to interrupt that discussion with our Pledge of Allegiance, I'm going to ask you to stand now and do our Pledge of Allegiance. Please join us. Face your flag, as you always do, as the patriots that you are. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in anything and everything that the Democrats are doing to undermine GOP authority in their newly won uh, majority in the House, well, then you don't understand what the flag or this nation represents anyway. In other words, if you are a left-wing Democrat uh, hell-bent on destroying this constitutional republic and turn, turning it into a haven for Marxism. Well, you just go ahead and consider yourself exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite Marxist ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. A few weeks ago, um, Buffalo Bills safety, a young man, just 24 years old, named Damar Hamlin, appeared on a, a Bills podcast, I guess it is. It's a, it's a podcast program. And it's called uh, One Bills Live. One Bills Live. And DeMar Hamlin was talking about his teammate and his friend, Dane Jackson, who suffered a very scary neck injury early in the season. And on One Bills Live, DeMar Hamlin was asked about that very, very scary situation with his teammate and friend. And this is what the young man said. Like, I can't even describe it, but I, I cherish it every second that I can. You know, every second of every day. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer we do every Wednesday. Mm. Outside, he was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder just because, you know, you never know when, like, the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this, you know. So I'm just, I'm cherishing it every moment I can. Um, 
the fact that that video and audio has resurfaced now a few weeks later is is chilling. Damar Hamlin talking about his teammate and about how he squeezed his hand just a little bit harder when they said their DB prayer, their defensive back group prayer, because you never know when this is going to be the last day that you have to do this. Um, he cherishes every second of it. It's 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 absolutely chilling to hear that now after what happened last night. Like I can't even describe it, but I, I cherish it every second that I can. You know, every second of every day. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer. We do every Wednesday mm. outside. He was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder, just because you know, you never know when like the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this. You know, so I'm just I'm cherishing it every moment I can. Um, the entire football world <clears throat> is. Um, and I think really anybody who's got a heart and a soul is hugging that young man right now uh, the best that we can and praying for him because he's in critical condition uh, at a Cincinnati hospital after collapsing on the field last night. If you are not watching the National Football League, I totally understand it and I totally get it because I swore off the NFL after it went woke a couple of years ago. But as I have been a football fan for pretty much over 50 years, uh, I I do occasionally get drawn in, and I do occasionally turn on a game, and I had the game on last night. I saw it, like a lot of other people. If you didn't see it, here's what happened. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, being a safety, a defensive back, uh, came up to make a tackle on a Cincinnati Bengals receiver who had just caught a pass, and the Cincinnati Bengals receiver uh, saw the tackle coming and lowered his shoulder and plowed forward. Exactly as he should. That's what receiver, that's what uh, uh, ball carriers and quarterbacks, anybody's running with the ball, running backs, receivers, or anybody else, when they see a hit coming, usually you don't shy away from it because that's how you get hurt. You plow into the other guy. It's kind of usually a a stalemate type of thing. So T. Higgins, wide receiver for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, lowered his shoulder and plowed into um, DeMar Hamlin as he came up to make the tackle. Hamlin held on took a hard shoulder to the chest, held on and kind of flung him around, and the two of them landed on the ground as tackles and tacklers and ball carriers do. Hamlin jumped up, stood there for about two seconds, and then, like a movie scene, just fell backwards, directly backwards. Didn't crumple, didn't go to a knee, just fell flat on his back. And according to what we have been told since then, suffered cardiac arrest. It was unlike anything the sport has ever seen. It was unlike anything maybe anybody has ever seen, particularly given the circumstances. It's a Monday night football game. It's national television eyes. It's maybe the biggest game of the year in the AFC. A 12 and 3 Buffalo Bills team, 11 and 4 Cincinnati Bengals team fighting for home field advantage throughout the playoffs on the road to the Super Bowl. Huge night, tons of attention, tons of eyes. Bengals get the ball first, go down and score a touchdown immediately. Bills get the ball next, come right back down and answer with a field goal. It's game on. This is going to be a hell of a football game. Everybody watching, and then, boom. Since the moment DeMar Hamlin collapsed on that field last night, um, everybody in America who saw it has been asking questions. 
what just happened? What could cause a young man, 24 years old, perfect physical specimen, in impeccable health, what could cause him to suffer cardiac arrest? Essentially a massive heart attack on the field. What could cause that? And asking that question seems to be a fair thing to do. I mean, what just happened? How did that just happen? I don't think there's anybody who is not allowed to ask that question. However, if you ask that question and then start to look for answers, the way you are treated depends upon what answers you seek. What I experienced online last night, as so many people jumped on social media, myself included, to say, oh my gosh, what just happened to DeMar Hamlin? Oh my gosh, did you see what just happened to DeMar Hamlin? Oh my gosh, what could that be? How could a young man just collapse like that? What do you think? Well, a lot of people had a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different ideas. And most of them were acceptable. Unless you ask the question, could it have had something to do with what caused countless other athletes to fall down and collapse with cardiac issues in the middle of their sporting events in the last two years? There are video reels of soccer players collapsing in the middle of of contests, perfectly healthy young athletes. There are video reels of basketball players, rugby players, tennis players, all just collapsing, who had never had cardiac issues before. A common theme among them is that they had all received COVID shots, what I call poison darts, what some people call vaccines. Those people are reaching because they are not vaccines. So a lot of people immediately looked at that and said, oh my gosh, he just collapsed. Is it another, quote, died suddenly, end quote, example that we just watched on national TV? Now, people who made declarations last night and said, oh my gosh, COVID vaccine just got another one. And there were plenty of them all over the country, I think are ghoulish and I think are flat-out irresponsible and reckless. They have no idea if that's the case. At this moment in time, 95% of the NFL players were required and took the shot, but some 5% did not, including star quarterback Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. We don't know if he's in the 95% or the 5%. But for people to just watch him fall and immediately say it was the COVID vaccine, that is irresponsible. However, for people to ask the question and to be demonized and to be vilified and to be called, uh, you know, uh, Hugh Hewitt used some of the words this morning, and I don't want to repeat them all. but for people to just say, could it? Could that be one of the issues? Could it be the issue? I don't know. What is the answer? For people to be demonized just for asking the question is something I can't abide by. My first thought was commotio cordis, 
which you probably have heard people talking about, including medical professionals. I looked it up last night, and I'm going to tell you why. I saw the play, and I saw young DeMar Hamlin come up to make a hit, not with his shoulder, but he was wide open and exposed in his chest. And the guy with the ball lowered his shoulder and plowed into DeMar Hamlin's chest. And I immediately went back about nine years or so when my son, we bought my son, who at the time still played baseball, and he was a pitcher. And we bought him a special undergarment under for underneath his, uh, his game jersey with a firm, thick pad right in the middle of the chest. Why? Because we saw a 13-year-old boy take a line drive after throwing a pitch that hit him square in the chest and killed him. It was called commotio cordis. An unexpected blow to the heart or to the chest that just happens to hit in the wrong at the wrong time of the arrhythmic cycle. The squeezing of the heart. If, it, if you get hit 99 times out of it, probably more than that. It's very, very hard to do. That's why it's a very, very rare thing to get a strong blow to the chest right at the wrong time in your heart's arrhythmic cycle. And that's it's squeezing and pumping and squeezing and pumping. The young man died, a 13-year-old boy. We bought my son one of those chest protectors immediately, so that was never going to happen to him. And what I saw last night, what a lot of other people saw, said, could that be commotio cordis? People who asked that question, myself included, were fine. Nobody came for us. Yeah, could be. Because it could be. But people asked, could it be the COVID vaccine causing more cardiac problems, the COVID shot again, causing more cardiac problems for young, healthy athletes, myocarditis, pericarditis, Blood clots. Could it have been that? Is it possible? Those people were excoriated. Those people were the devil. Those people were the scum of the earth. And I'm here to say, I don't know what caused this poor, this young man, this healthy young man, this this victim of a horrific situation. I don't know what caused him to collapse with cardiac arrest and to have his heart stop for nine minutes that they worked and performed CPR on him. I don't know. And I think everybody in America is asking what happened. It is wrong to demonize people for wondering if something that has had massive effects on huge numbers of young athletes, cardiac effects, had something to do with it. I don't know if it did or not. But it's only normal and natural and human of us to wonder. What he said, by the way, a few weeks ago about his teammate who suffered a severe neck injury is going it, it, it to it ought to stick with you for a while. He knows how dangerous this game is. He knows that this could be the last moment you ever play. Like, I can't even describe it, but I, I cherish it every second that I can. You know, every second of every day. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer we do every Wednesday. Mm. Outside, he was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder just because, you know, you never know when, like, the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this, you know. So I'm just, I'm cherishing it every moment I can. Um, what a deeply thoughtful and and introspective young man. I think we're all squeezing him a little bit harder right now, too. Pray for DeMar Hamilton. Pray for his recovery. 
And let's stop demonizing people who are simply reacting as human beings do, wondering how something this traumatic could happen. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 937, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Good Tuesday morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Is it okay in your mind to suspect or to at least question whether or not a COVID profit shot, otherwise known as the poison dart, which has caused just countless numbers of adverse events and in many cases what is believed to be death, in normally otherwise healthy people. Is it okay to suspect that, to question that, to wonder about that, or is that considered to be off limits? Because that's what we're hearing. That's what we're hearing from a lot of people. We heard it this morning on this uh, on this uh, radio station, people saying, you can't ask that question, you can't blame it on the, the COVID shots. And these, of course, are people who were COVID shot. People who took the poison dart and moreover, pushed it on everybody that they could, are just desperate to believe that it absolutely cannot cause sudden cardiac arrest in a young athlete. They just know, how dare you, you cannot say that it, that it caused that. It's impossible. No way. Look, I took it and I'm still alive. This is their argument. I don't know whether the prophet shot, had anything to do with the stopping of the heart of this otherwise healthy 24-year-old young athlete, or if his condition was caused or his cardiac arrest was caused by a sudden blow to the chest, a very dangerous blow to the chest. One that was described by at least one doctor, Brian Sutterer, as being something that is rare, but is oftentimes fatal in athletes who take sudden blows to the chest. I want you to the listen. Vaccines, this is almost certainly something called commotio cordis, an extremely, extremely rare condition that's one of those things that we typically only think we're going to read about in textbooks. Essentially what can happen is if you have a blunt trauma to the chest that occurs at exactly the right time in the cardiac electrical cycle, your heart can be sent into cardiac arrest. As Hamlin comes in here, we can see this square hit to the front of his chest. We see him get back up momentarily before ultimately collapsing back down to the ground and requiring CPR on the field. This is a tracing of our heart's electrical activity. Basically, this is one cycle of the heart squeezing. It starts off with this P wave, which is the electrical activity of the atrium at the top of the heart squeezing, then the QRS complex, which is going to be the ventricles acting. But then the last phase is this T wave, where the ventricle basically depolarizes and kind of resets to get ready for the next cycle. For commotio cordis to happen, you have to suffer this blunt trauma to the chest at exactly the right moment, specifically on this upstroke of the T wave, in order for the heart to then be sent into this arrhythmia and subsequent cardiac arrest. This is one of those things that not only do you have to have a high enough force, but it has to happen within milliseconds of a time window because if that impact comes at any other time in this electrical cycle, you're fine. You don't go into this. But when it happens at just this right time during this upstroke of the T wave, and if it's high enough, then you can have this thing called commotial cortis. Now, I shared that video last night uh, with a lot of people, and I want to explain why, and I want to offer... Uh, some perspective on this too. Everything he just described looks and sounds perfectly reasonable. 
As a matter of fact, I would probably go so far as to say this is what I'm leaning toward as the reason for the man's collapse. I saw the blow to the chest. I saw the way it happened. I know about Comoscio Cordis because, again, uh, it happened to a young baseball player who died uh, several years ago by getting hit with a line drive to the chest. And it just happened to hit him at the exact wrong time in the arrhythmic cycle, as this doctor just described. Um, and it put a whole lot of people on notice. People started doing what I did, flocking to sporting goods stores and ordering, because they didn't really have them like laid out. It wasn't a common thing to order an under-jersey chest protect- protector, a pad or shield, to make sure that a line drive that hits you there isn't going to be something that can kill you. So all of this looks very, very legitimate to me. All of this looks, in fact, highly likely, like that's the poss- that's what caused this. However, this medical opinion offered by this doctor, who is an expert in sports medicine, is just that. It's a medical opinion. Because he has not examined the player. He watched a TV show, like you and me. He watched a TV show and a video and said, here's what I think happened. And that's fine. But he's offering speculation at this point in time. I'm glad he told people about Comoscio Cordis. I knew about it, but I bet 99% of the population had never heard of the term Comoscio Cordis. As a matter of fact, how do I know that? Because almost everybody who's talking about it is mispronouncing it. They're saying Comodio and, and, and all kinds of things. It's Comoscio Cordis, and most people have no idea what it is. I'm glad this doctor pointed it out. I'm glad he explained it. But the reality is he doesn't know if that's what caused DeMar Hamlin's collapse. He does not know. It is possible it was commotio cortis, and I think likely. It is also possible it was something else. It was also poss- It is also possible that the man has a heart condition that perhaps was caused by some foreign agent being injected into his body that has impacted a lot of other people's cardiac conditions. We don't know. And asking the question as to whether or not it could be something is not the same thing as saying that it absolutely is something. It is not irresponsible to ask the question. I think it's highly reckless and irresponsible to make a declarative. If you say this was caused by the COVID shot because you hate the COVID shot so much and you just want to prove that they're dangerous and they kill people, if you're doing that, you're being reckless. Nobody hates the the poison dart more than I do. Maybe as much, but not more. I have been so steadfast and loud and vocally opposed to these things on the radio from the beginning, two and a half years ago. You know it, and I know. Actually, almost three years ago now, coming up in March, it'll be three years. I have been steadfastly opposed to it. I think they're dangerous. I think they're experimental. I think they're using the human race as as lab rats, as as guinea pigs. Uh, We're in the Petri dish. We are the long-term trials that they never did with the mRNA vaccines. They never conducted the long-term trials. They said, take the jab. It's safe and effective. Therefore, we are the long-term trials. And I wasn't going to be a part of it. I said no, and I'll still say no. But do I know for a fact that that experimental uh, poison, which it is for a lot of people, knocked down DeMar Hamlin and caused his cardiac arrest? I do not, and neither do you. Don't be unreasonable. Don't be irresponsible. Don't put us all in tinfoil hat territory because you're saying, I know that cardio, uh, or excuse me, that... um, uh, the COVID vaccine has caused this cardiac arrest. You don't know that. Neither do I. Is it possible? Damn right it's possible. 
Should we wait and find out? Yes, we should. Do we know we're going to find out the truth? No, we don't. And here's the reason why. I want to give you, see, I am literally trying to be the fair, balanced arbiter of all of this um, by providing you every single angle. Here's another angle. The National Football League, which pushed, if not outright demanded, that all of its players take the poison dart so that they could go back to playing football and making millions. Um, they had a lot vested in this, invested in this. The National Football League, in in pushing this 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 untested gene therapy upon every player, the National Football League can't allow the answer to be the poison dart. They can't allow that. Because then they will be culpable. Because they are the ones who push this so hard. There's an article in uh, Fierce Pharma, FiercePharma.com, from September. So it's not too old. It's about four months old. Pfizer has been using a softly, softly approach when it comes to promoting its COVID-19 vaccine community. As the NFL season kicked off this month, the big pharma's marketing strategy is going the extra yard. That's according to data and analysis shared with Fierce Pharma Marketing by real-time ad tracker iSpot TV. They found ads for Comirnaty have aired 749 times on national linear TV with a particular emphasis on NFL games, which started on September 9th. Pfizer and the National Football League partnered to push this on people unlike anything else. So here's the real question. If this drug did have some this this experimental, untested drug, did have something to do with the cardiac arrest of of young uh, uh, Demar Hamlin or any one of the others on the soccer pitch, on the basketball court, on the tennis court, on the hockey ice, uh, anybody else who's collapsing in this just massive rash of these? Again, there are video reels of them all over the place. Will we ever know? Will we ever know the truth? Will they ever tell us that this caused it? Or would that be an automatic admission of their own um, responsibility in this? So I'm very curious to know how you feel about it. Is it okay to suspect the shot? Or is it more likely? Well, and let me re- let me let me do that again. I'll take that back. In my estimation, it's absolutely okay to suspect it. It's okay to question it. It's okay to ask. We're not evil for asking, did the shot have something to do with this? Any more than we're evil for asking, did he suffer from uh, this this terrible hit, this commotio cortis that the doctor described? We don't know. But so many people want to silence people who are even asking that question. All right, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. The other big news of the day, of course, is much more far-reaching, and that is... Who's going to be leading the United States Congress? Who's going to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, after the vote that is going to be held later this morning? Or actually later this afternoon. It's going to be shortly afternoon. Is Kevin McCarthy going to have the votes? And if he does not, are the Republicans going to risk losing the Speakership altogether with a divided, and there are so far almost 20 members of the Republican uh, House who are saying they will not vote? For Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy needs 218 votes, and he's not even close. Are they running the risk of handing the speakership over to a Democrat? 
Believe it or not, it's a possibility. And what would that do for us heading into 2023? Can the Republicans get their act together in either Washington, D.C. or in Columbus, Ohio? On the side of the uh, Ohio General Assembly. We're going to talk about all of that. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always great radio is right back. Okay, 953, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. So here's the deal. As we head into what is an extraordinary time, uh, you know, the, the new members of Congress are being sworn in this morning, members of the Senate, members of the House, and then they're going to get together and they're all going to be receiving their little ballots and they're going to vote to select a speaker. It should be, with the Republicans having a 222 to 212-ish uh, margin, it should be uh, pretty easy for them to say, okay, here's our leader. Let's cast the votes. Let's get them 218 votes, and, uh, and, and, and we're good to go. But obviously, if you have 222 members and you need 218 votes, you only have room for four defections, four people to say, I want somebody else. And as of this morning, there are as many as 19 Republicans who are pledging not to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Now, I will tell you, I'm of two minds on Kevin McCarthy, like a lot of people are. I don't think he is the rock-ribbed conservative we need to lead the House of Representatives as Speaker. I don't. But I don't believe any real rock-ribbed conservative can get 218 votes, which means we're going to have to find somebody who, who at least can play the role or pretend or be something even close to that in order to make sure that the Republican majority is led by a Republican. It's not necessarily about who's the best as much as it is about who can get the votes. Now, is this an indictment of the Republican Party in Washington? Is this an indictment of the Republican Party in general? The fact that they might have to swallow hard and, and, and select somebody that they think is much more deep state, much more rhino than he is conservative? Yeah, kind of is. That's the place we find ourselves right now. We conservatives who want somebody who is a rock-ribbed conservative to be in that seat, we who want somebody in Mitch McConnell's seat as Senate Minority Leader who is an actual conservative, are desperate to get exactly that in order to fight for us and to fight for the constitutional protections that are just you know being completely eroded uh, by the left. We want somebody like that, but we don't have them. Because quite frankly, and I think this is something we better admit, there aren't enough of us. There aren't enough conservatives, are there? I've often described, and I think it's accurate, I've often described the United States of America as still being a center-right country. But center-right means moderate-right. It doesn't mean far-right. It doesn't mean rock-ribbed conservative. And as a center-right country, we've elected a center-right majority in the House. We should have elected a, a, a conservative Republican majority in the Senate, but we couldn't get that done for a variety of reasons. We are a center-right country, and thus we have center-right, uh, a center-right majority. And as a center-right majority, what are they probably going to do? They're going to end up choosing a center-right speaker. And is that perfect? No. Do I want a rock-ribbed conservative in his place? Yes. Can we get enough votes when we don't have enough rock-ribbed conservative? We certainly don't have 218 of them to pick somebody else. I mean, we're, we're, we're flirting with disaster here. 
If we have to go to a second vote, and if more rhinos pull back, if we have to go to a third vote or a fourth vote and we just can't get anywhere close and we keep trying to nominate somebody who cannot win, the Democrats could slide in there and flip enough rhinos to say, how about this person? The conference meets at 9.30, uh, so it's in progress right now, I guess I should say. It's 9.57 now, to hear Kevin McCarthy's final appeal to get to 218 votes, and then they'll vote a little bit later on. Uh, but his support is wavering among conservatives. And like I said, while I support the conservatives, I wonder if we're not going to do something that is so devastating and so damaging that we find, wind up with somebody worse than Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. I don't know you know, how that's going to play out, but I'm very, very concerned about it. So is Peter Kersenow. And Kersenow is going to be joining us after the top of the hour news to talk about this, to talk about Tamar Hamlin, what happened last night, to talk about what may have caused the collapse of the young man. And a little bit more on what's coming up uh, in the uh, uh, Ohio General Assembly today as well. The Ohio House of Representatives also has to select its speaker. The Republicans had already made the point. It's Derek Maron. They've called him the speaker-elect for over a month. But now a coup is underway as left-wing Republicans, that's what I'm going to call them, left-wing Republicans in the Ohio State House are going to team up with actual Democrats who aren't ashamed to call themselves Democrats the way the left-wing Republicans are. They're going to team up with them and try to force Marin, who's considered to be much more conservative, out of the speakership. So we've got just massive problems amongst the Republican Party, both in Ohio, in Columbus, and in Washington, D.C. How is it all going to play out? Well, we'll only we'll find out in a matter of hours. But Peter Kersenow and I will kick that around coming up next. And I welcome your calls, too, at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Join us this morning on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday. It's the third morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you so, so much for being with us. So here's a message from the President and the First Lady on uh, New Year's Eve. And especially take care of your health this year. Go get that COVID vaccine and get your flu shot. <laughs> well, we are looking forward to a big... Uh, if you didn't hear Joe mumbling underneath that, he said you better listen to her. Yeah, definitely. Go get that COVID vaccine. You know, vaccines which uh, prevent you from catching diseases, prevent you from becoming infected, uh, otherwise known as inoculations. Yeah, you better go get that, says the woman and her husband, each of whom has been darted probably about five times each, continue to come down with COVID in succession. Yeah, great idea. Way to tell everybody to do that, by the way. Did you give everybody informed consent? Dr. Jill, President Joe, did you give everybody informed consent about all of the potential side effects, including serious heart conditions, 
blood clots, myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, enlargement. Did you give them all of the informed consent that they need before they made the decision to take the shots you are now pushing on them? Oh, wait a minute. Not only did you not give them informed consent to make the right decision, you didn't allow them to make a decision at all. You mandated these things without knowing anything about the side effects. Anything for any federal employee or contracted employee who works for somebody that does business with the government. And now you're going to tell us, go get the next one, go get the next round, you better go get that next booster, because it did absolutely nothing for you. And Lord knows what it did for or to DeMar Hamlin. We have no idea. Joining us now to discuss the news of the day for the first time in the calendar year 2023, of course, is the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the Cleveland attorney, the best-selling author, the columnist, the law professor, the host of the Kersenow Report. I speak, of course, of Peter Kersenow. Once again... For what will be, the, I believe, the ninth consecutive year of Kersenow discussions each and every Tuesday. Peter, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you and everybody in Cleveland. I, that's amazing. Nine years. It, the time has really flown, I have to say. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. really incredible. It is. It is to me, too, uh, Peter. It's, this is the start of my ninth year now, and uh, and I'm so glad that you're going to be a part of it once again. Okay, Pete, um, I, I want to start with what happened. Did, were you watching Last Night Live, or did you kind of pick up on it afterwards? No, I, I was going, actually, I didn't see it happen live, but I happened to turn to it. I was uh, I was not really watching television. It was one of these things where usually the television may be on, and I may be walking past, and I was watching uh, the other news, and not as grave, of course, or important as Donovan Mitchell's 71 points, uh, which was, I saw part of that, and it was an extraordinary performance. But I, I switched when, it must have happened like a minute before I switched to the Bills game, uh, Bills-Bengals game. And, uh, you know, uh, first thing I thought was Daryl Stingley. Uh, for those who may not remember that, uh, Jack Tatum hit Daryl Stingley, who was of the New England Patriots back then, and caused uh, paralysis. And I thought maybe that's what happened until it took several minutes before they explained what had happened. Of course, everybody was stunned, uh, deservedly so. I didn't realize that it was a heart stoppage, um, which, um, you know, at least as far as pro football is concerned, I've not seen that before. I've seen other traumatic injuries that have caused heart stoppages. But if you get, uh, you know, I've seen situations, heck, uh, I've been hit in the chest before, and you get this feeling, and Bob, you may have had this also, you get this feeling where your your chest, your, your heart feels like it's going up into your throat, and you feel like you can't breathe, and everything kind of stops for a second. And of course, at the pro level, sometimes that's you know magnified several times. Uh, it was, um, you know, you, you feel for somebody like that, no doubt about it. I hope he's okay when you have a heart stoppage like that. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but you're concerned about oxygen to the brain, everything like that. And I'm sure the medical professionals there, and I, you know, from what I saw, boy, the NFL really got to it quickly. But, um, you know, these things happen, uh, especially on the football field. You, you pray for them, um, you know, and uh, you hope that uh, everything turns out okay. Whether I, do, I doubt, who knows what's going to happen. I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm not a physician. I just hope the best for him. Well, he's in critical condition this morning, and he has been ever since they left the field. They intubated him last night. And, uh, of course, what makes this so unique is the fact that um, his heart stopped for nine minutes. They were doing CPR for nine minutes 
minutes. Uh, and uh, that lets you know this is a very serious right. cardiac condition. And I'm not a doctor either. Um, some who are are pointing out uh, that there is a condition um, that is very rare, but it happens after a hard blow to the chest in some people. It's called commotio cordis. And commotio cordis, according to the doctors, and I read up it, because I, I told the story before you came on, Peter, back when my son was still playing uh, baseball, uh, back in 20, I want to say 13 or 14 or whatever it was, um, my son um, is pit, was a pitcher, and my wife and I saw the story, a heartbreaking story of a young baseball pitcher uh, who was hit in the chest by a line drive who died. And, and just like, boom, yeah. that's it. Like, Wait, what? How does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. Something that very few people had ever heard of before. It's called commotio cordis. It occurs when a person is hit in the chest. It triggers a dramatic change in the rhythm of the heart. It has to hit at exactly the wrong time, meaning there's a very slight millisecond period of time right. between each heart squeeze, you know, as the heart beats, um, where the the arrhythmia is thrown or the, the rhythm is thrown off and arrhythmia happens and it causes an immediate cardiac arrest. According to the um, medical journals, um, this is an uncommon injury, but it most commonly affects male teen athletes who get that blow to the chest at just the wrong mm-hmm. moment. So you see what happened with you know Demar Hamlin, and I watched it very very closely. <clears throat> he didn't come in to make the tackle on T Higgins low with a shoulder, the way almost ninety nine percent of the defensive players do. He didn't lead with his shoulder. He ended up open and exposed to the chest. And T Higgins saw a chance to lower his shoulder and plow for a couple more after the catch, and he did. He lowered his shoulder and put his shoulder directly into the chest of Hamlin, who grabbed and hung on and rode him down. Stood up, like, okay, well, let's go. And then two seconds later, literally fell flat on his back like it was a cartoon. It was it was just so bizarre. I mean, just not crumpling to the ground, but just straight backwards uh, and, and landed flat. So, you know, I get it. I do understand commotio cordis. And I immediately posted that because I remembered it uh, from when my, my son was pitching, and we went and bought him a chest protector for any time he pitches because we didn't want a line shot coming back to him. And, you know, it's the, there was a big run on those. It was in the, in the news. There was a big run on these chest protectors to wear underneath your baseball jersey so kids don't get hit with a line drive and die. Um so I, I I posted that. It was my first blush response to it. But the first blush response to a whole lot of other people was COVID shots. Because we mm-hmm. see a ton of people collapsing, a lot of athletes collapsing who are perfectly healthy with cardiac conditions now after taking their COVID shots. And, of course, we know now myocarditis, pericarditis, blood clotting, and so on and so forth is relatively common, particularly in young athletic males. So, Pete, uh, and by the way, immediately... Anybody who brought that up was castigated. Everybody who said that or even asked the question, could this be the result of blah, uh, was, oh, my gosh, you heartless so-and-so, how dare you politicize? It's not politicizing something, including a tragedy like this, to say, hey, a healthy guy just collapsed on live TV and his heart stopped for nine minutes. We'd like to know why. And we're all speculating and questioning and asking why. That's That's not inappropriate, is it, Pete? Well, we see that from uh, Biden. We see it from the CDC. There's this enforced orthodoxy that you must not depart from uh, the standard party line that uh, there's nothing bad that could ever result from COVID shots, and you must never question it. And you talk about fascism. Um, that's some of the most dramatic examples of fascism you could imagine when you're putting your lives on the lines or the government is telling you to put your life on the line that you don't have autonomy 
uh, well, you know, you have autonomy if you may be in the private sector, but if you're working for the government, if you're working for Joe Biden, you either take the shot or you're out of a job. You know, some of the, the most uh, uh, important people we have, the people who are putting their lives on the lines, all of a sudden, you know, they've decided to make an independent medical decision, which I thought we have a right to do in most cases. You know, there are certain exceptions to that, uh, but you're compelled to take these shots that have got now you look, we're three years after the fact, or at least two and a half years after the fact. Now we've got a body of evidence that we can look through. Not conclusive, but we have more than we did a couple of years ago when, you know, we wanted to at least protect as many people as possible. There was still some uncertainty about the shots and the spread of the disease. But now we've got a significant body of evidence which has disproven much of what um, the the COVID fascists, if I could put it that way, uh, have been saying for a long time. And again, this is the United States of America. We should have some freedom. Getting back to Hamlin, I don't know what the the cause of this is, and we we won't know. Um, you know, I have seen, of course, you know, you and I have both been involved in sports for a long, long time. I've personally seen guys take a hit to the the chest and fall, and you know, have to get CPR and the whole thing. My recollection always has been, and again, I haven't been involved in this in quite some time, that um, uh, that type of arrhythmia, that type of heart stoppage, happens immediately. You don't kind of stand up and then take a few steps and collapse, but who knows, you know, everything is different. Again, I'm not a physician. Um, One of the things I I would like to say is that uh, I don't want to make a big deal about this, but um, we should always keep in mind that, uh, you know, I pray for Hamlin. He seems to be a really decent individual, and even if he wasn't a decent individual, he's a human being. Um, But we don't have wall-to-wall coverage for police officers who, you know, every day get shot, uh, some get killed, you know, firefighters, uh, army rangers, you name it. The list is long, and uh, we we don't hear that that often. And these kinds of these people deserve at least as much co- coverage as uh, Hamlin does. Now, I understand the circumstances are different. You know, Monday Night yeah. Football, of course, you're going to have that, that coverage is going to be there. You can't escape it. But it does point to the fact that we should always keep in mind that uh, and we we have a tendency on the left to vilify many of these individuals, these, these police officers, they're calling for, you know, they've called for defunding the police. They actually sometimes in, in narrow segments, thankfully, cheer when police officers get, get killed. But um, keep in mind, there are a lot of people who are putting their lives online every single day that are doing things that are of incredible value to the community. Not to say, you know, entertainment and football is not of value to the community, but keep in mind that these people do it every single day, put their lives on the line. And we don't have this kind of coverage. Uh, but again, going back to the COVID issue, um, we should resist mightily, in my estimation, this COVID fascism that we see. We should be able to, as Americans, make independent decisions. We've seen now that the COVID vaccine doesn't do all the things that they said, almost everything that they said at the outset, in a very draconian and um, overbearing uh, manner, uh, dictatorial manner, has been proven to be either false or at least mixed. And we should never, when it comes to our health, when it comes to medicine, simply accept the dictates of the, you know, whether it be the government or the hegemonic majority as the be-all and end-all. We have independent rights to make decisions about our bodies. The the left keeps telling us about that with respect to abortion, not forgetting for the moment there's another body involved. But in every other case, boy, you must do what the government says. Otherwise, you know, you're going to lose your job or something else as bad is going to happen. They accused people who did not take COVID shots of killing people. 
of spreading the disease. And that type of you know, mentality on the left still prevails to a large extent. And, uh, but anyway, go, getting back to uh, Hamlin, um, I don't know what to say other than you know, we, we pray for him. I know that sounds trite, um, but uh, these things happen in football. Yeah, well, these things don't. <laughs> I mean, because this is such a rarity. I mean, that's what made it so amazing last night. Pete, last thing before you go here, uh, not you go, but on this subject, before we start talking about the House uh, vote today on Kevin McCarthy and so forth, um, what do you think the NFL does here? I mean, this game matters a lot, the one last night. It was a 12-3 and team against an 11-4 and team, fighting for home field advantage potentially throughout the playoffs, second to last week of the season. They got one more next week. When they, right. can, they, can they come back and play this game tonight? Can they come back yeah, and play I, the rest of this game tomorrow and then expect teams right. to play again on Sunday? Do they push the whole schedule back a week or two? I mean, uh, the league schedule? I mean, they've they got to figure something out here from that standpoint. Yeah, well... My view is that uh, we have the worst NFL commissioner in history in Goodell, and so whatever is done is probably going to be the wrong decision. Uh, I don't have an opinion. I heard a lot of speculation that maybe it would be pushed to Thursday, and they'd play on Thursday because, as you said, they've got a schedule here and a lot of moving parts and billions, literally billions of dollars at stake in terms of keeping that schedule. Um, I think, look, the NFL already goes into February now. <laughs> you know, I remember growing up, the NFL championship game was at the end of December. And then we had the Super Bowl, and it was in January. Now it's in February. Who knows when it's going to be now? But I think that uh, if I were commissioner, again, this is off the, the cuff. I'd have to study it more closely. But if it was off the cuff, I'd say, let's push everything back for a week so that no one is harmed by this. And that, uh, you know, you reconstitute the game. I don't know if you do it on a, on a Thursday or a Friday or something else. Give it enough time so that there's, a, you know, some decorum and respect for Hamlin. But at the same time, you know, they, they've the show must go on. Yeah. 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 It, it, we're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry uh, and as sad and as tragic as this is and as much as everybody wants to stop what they're doing and pay attention to it for now they can't stop it permanently it has to pick up at some point whether he's still in critical condition in two days or whether he is uh improved or or even worse god forbid i mean they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do and again i don't think they certainly can't play tomorrow or or thursday and then expect the teams to come back and again and play on sunday in in week 18 or week 19 i guess it would be they can't do that so they're going to have to uh, push things back at least a week, I would imagine. So right. uh, we'll see where that goes. So let's take a time out now at 1024. Peter Kirsten, I was with us. We'll move on now to a much more far-reaching story, and that, of course, is the vote on Capitol Hill. The new Congress is being sworn in this morning, and there will be a vote as to who's going to lead the Republican majority. Who will be the speaker if it's not Kevin McCarthy? Kirsten, I will give us his thoughts on that next. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, uh, 10.28 here, real quick, uh, with Peter Kirsten now before the uh, bottom of the hour news, and we'll talk more about this on the other side of the news. Pete, do you support Kevin McCarthy, as the he's been the House Minority Leader now, uh, to step up and take the gavel from Nancy Pelosi when they vote later today? Um, I'm, I'm not a, 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 full disclosure, I think I may have mentioned this before, nominally I'm a Kevin McCarthy appointee in my last term to the Civil Rights Commission. I do not know him, I've met him only once, uh, it's just a matter of how these things are done. My original appointment, of course, was by George W. Bush, etc., and it went on from there. Having said that, 
Um, I've always viewed Kevin McCarthy as being kind of a middle-of-the-road Republican. I'm being charitable. Um, but he's got 99% of the vote. Uh, that's not to say that you don't necessarily raise questions uh, as to who should be Speaker of the, the House. But at this point, uh, I think that – and look, I'm, I'm a, a conservative, and I'd want somebody, the most conservative person who could do the best job for the caucus at the, at the lead – but having said that, when you need 218 votes, I, I think it is, it's 218 right 18, now. Yes, sir. And you've, yeah, and you've got commitments from almost everybody except a few people. There's just a handful of individuals who are trying to extract some concessions, which McCarthy has made. Um, at this point, I think you start to um, lose credibility. That's the least of your concerns. But you play into the Democrats' hands. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if there are going to be some you know, people who defect? Whether or not the Democrats can even pose a challenge, I doubt that very seriously. But Democrats always walk in lockstep. Um, that's a bad thing, if you ask me. In this particular case, there's been a ton of debate, and uh, McCarthy's made concessions. Maybe not enough to satisfy certain conservatives, but you know what? That's politics. And at this point, I think the overarching objective is to get the job done. Now, when, when McCarthy does become Speaker, you continue to hold him to account. You know, my big favorite, I would... Uh, would hope that Jim Jordan would have been speaker or someone like that. But you can't always get what you want, as the song says. And I'm not, you know, capitulating to anything like this, but I do think the folks who are holding out, I've looked at every single one of them. I, um, well, I don't want to make any statements about them, but um, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the judgment of, of some of them. Let's talk about some of those those and their judgment after the news. And by the way, Jim Jordan told me directly last week he does not want to be Speaker. He wants to be Chair of the Judiciary Committee. He wants to oversee uh, the subpoenas and the investigations of all of those uh, things that we have discussed through the uh, Biden administration. He supports Kevin McCarthy for that spot. Uh, Peter Kersenow picks it up with us right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Okay, continuing now at 1037 with Peter Kirsten out joining us for the first time in 2023. And we're talking about, um, well, I don't know, nothing less than the future of the country and the survival of the country. It's going to be up to the Republican-controlled Congress on the House side anyway to ensure that survival as we try to overcome uh, Democrat policies, uh, the damage that was done over the last two years. So, Peter, here's what I've got. Some Republicans are threatening, this is Fox, threatening to join with the Democrats if McCarthy does not prevail and get his 218 votes and to elect a moderate. Now, first of all, I find that hilarious if Republicans join the Democrats to elect a moderate because McCarthy is a moderate. That's the problem. He's not conservative enough for many. McCarthy's allies have held up the prospect of the Democratic candidate, Hakeem Jeffries, sneaking in with a majority of the vote as Republicans devour their own. Minority Whip Steve Scalise, the House GOP's second most powerful lawmaker, could emerge as a widely acceptable conservative alternative. However, he says he supports McCarthy. And some of the Californians' backers say they will not support a spite vote for Scalise. There is even talk of lawmakers trotting in someone from outside of the House to seize the gavel, since the Speaker does not have to be a lawmaker. But who could that possibly be? Pete, I have never seen a party in such disarray as the Republican yeah. Party right now. And it's at the federal level as well at the state level. Can they get out of their own way and do something to undo the damage done by the Biden administration and the Democrat Congress? 
Well, I think I'm skeptical. I think uh, most of us are skeptical, even if they were able to unify. And that's the nature of the Republican Party. The Republican Party doesn't walk completely in lockstep. That's been a problem for a long time, but it's also the benefit of the Republican Party. It's not a party of, you know, the Democrats stay together no matter what, and that serves their purpose as well, but it's also a matter of their ideology. Their ideology is one that is, let's face it, it, it communism is a matter of everybody joins together, you know, in one enterprise and nobody departs from it, uh, whereas Republicans are more individualistic. So there's good to that, and but procedurally, you know, there are some, some hiccups there. Um, I think that um, this will probably work out well uh, at the end, but these individuals, Republicans, who think they may caucus with Democrats, everybody should keep an eye on those individuals. Uh, those are people who cannot be trusted, even though they purport to be conservatives. These are people who are such cowboys out there, and I'm generally considered to be a cowboy, by the way, but nonetheless, if you think you're going to join with a caucus that supports unfettered immigration, inflation at these rates, crime, decay and disorder that we've seen, the insane wokeness, the military failing to meet its recruitment goals, you know, the FBI and DOJ being, being weaponized, how you can caucus with individuals who are doing things that are working to destroy. Let's, that's not an exaggeration. If I had said something like that just seven or eight years ago, it would have been an exaggeration. But this is destroying the fabric of the United States of America, and we're all seeing it. The decay and deterioration is palpable. So keep an eye on those individuals. I don't know that they, their judgment can be trusted. I am in favor of trying to get the most rightward-leaning speaker and the most rightward-leaning caucus that we can have and a rightward-leaning agenda. But politics, you have to at some point you have to understand that you can't always get what you want, and sometimes certain compromises have to be necessary. Not ones that allow the Democrats to forward their agenda, but that's precisely what this kind of splinter group would do. They would be giving over to Democrats <laughs> after an election in which the Republicans barely got a majority, continued effective control of the Congress. Pete, um, what does a McCarthy-led Congress do? What what does it get done? Considering yeah. there's going to be a uh, you know Democrat majority, fifty-one forty-nine. They actually have a majority now, not fifty-fifty with the tiebreaker to Kamala on the Senate side of things. What can he get done in two years? Regard what could a Steve Scalise get done? What can anybody get done? Uh, even if we get a true conservative in that Speaker's uh, office, very very little very little from the legislative standpoint for the reasons that you mentioned. Mechanically, it's virtually impossible because it's going to have to override, you know, first of all, you've got to get the Senate involved and the Senate's controlled by Democrats. And again, the Democrats walk in, in, in lockstep. And you're going to have to get a president to sign off on what you want to do. So you can only work around the margins. But what you can do, and I know this upsets a lot of people, and it looks like all Congress ever does engage in investigations. The Democrats, that's all they did, it, and they weaponized investigations. But here, there are numerous investigations that are imperative. They really are vital to the health of the republic. You can start with the Hunter Biden laptop, and it's not about Hunter Biden. Because what we've seen revealed just thus far from the laptop reveals just profound corruption on the part of the Biden administration and whether or not we do have a, com a compromised president. And simply because major media won't cover it doesn't mean it's not a major story. A media that covered the 
false, completely made-up Russia collusion hoax turns a blind eye toward palpable corruption here in the Biden administration. Second, and the thing that I think may be most important, is oversight over the FBI and DOJ. So many of the alphabet agencies under the Democrats have been weaponized against Americans and are doing damage to the fabric of America and the rule of law, but none is more terrifying, I think, and I think that's an appropriate word, than the weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ. They need, that corruption needs to be rooted out, and I've been of the opinion, I don't like to, you know, blow up institutions and start over. I think that's kind of radical. Mm -hmm. We are at a, a point where Serious consideration has to be given to, uh, I don't know about blowing up the FBI, but it has to be completely reformed from top to bottom. There's a tendency on the part of conservatives, you hear certain commentators say, well, it's you know, not the rank and file, it's just the people in the leadership. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, and that's one of the things that an oversight committee is going to have to determine whether or not, I, you know, like, I think that there are honest and, and work, hardworking and law-abiding FBI agents out there, no doubt about it, an agency that big, there has to be. But at the top level, we've seen just incredible corruption, uh, dangerous corruption, the kind of thing that you know was just imagined back during the Watergate era, and it's done out in the open. Look, the last two presidential elections, you could say, were significantly affected by FBI actions or non-actions significantly affected. The Hunter Biden laptop would have changed the outcome of the election had it become known. The FBI had it for a year, knew it was in it, and suppressed it through Twitter, Facebook. And that's been and, proven, and, by the way. The outcome would have changed because of the number of people yes. who, who voted for Biden 16%. in the key battleground states who have said, yes, I would not have voted for him had that been the case. Right. We would have had a different president. This is astonishing what's going on. And we had a, an FBI, at least at the top leadership, they were talking about wearing a wire to entrap the president of the United States. Just get, get him, you know, Comey goes in there and tries to prompt the president of the United States to say something it can use against him. This is extraordinary stuff. And the problem we've got is we have, among other things, a completely compromised media that won't report about these things. Otherwise, there'd be a groundswell, I think, among you know the 30 to 40 percent of people who aren't in either the Republican camp or the Democratic camp to do something about this. But if you have the Congress and oversight authority, you've got to, as part of your constitutional duty, conduct these kinds of investigations because we're at a critical stage here. Uh, I'll repeat again, I think many of your audience members, and myself included, roll our eyes when we hear about investigations. You know, we go like, oh yeah, yeah another investigation, another investigation, do something already. Um, this is one of those rare circumstances where I think investigations are imperative, they're necessary for the hyg hygiene of the republic, and uh, the direction in which we're going mandates that this be brought to light, even if major media doesn't want to cover it, It'll be out there. It'll get out into the bloodstream, and people will be aware, and it will affect the next election, whether presidential, whether it's congressional elections. It will affect it. The only way we can turn this around is having different people in office, and you don't do that if you don't have the ammunition to show that you need different people in office. No, no, you you absolutely do not. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'm going to wrap our conversation, Pete, with <clears throat> talking about why we have such a very slim majority. Uh, right now in the House, uh, even though according to historical numbers, we should have seen a massive, massive shift uh, in in the uh, uh, first midterm election after a new president is is sworn in. President Trump uh, has taken to blaming pro-lifers. 
He said last week, and I want to clarify something, too, because I understood, in fact, defended President Trump's viewpoint from a political perspective, not necessarily from a moral one. But the reactions now are all over the place from pro-lifers who are saying enough of Donald Trump. What he said was that the Republicans screwed up. He actually issued a statement saying it's not my fault that we didn't win more seats and that we didn't win a majority in the Senate. He said, it's not my fault. The fault in part lies with the pro-life movement uh, that refused to allow the three exceptions, meaning rape, incest, and health or life of the mother. He said, if they had done that, we would have had more middle-of-the-road people uh, uh, come come our way rather than flocking over to the pro-abortion side. How do you feel about that, and what role do you think the president played in the underwhelming performance when we did not get our uh, our red wave? Um. I don't know that he played that much of a role, although he did. There's no doubt about that. Look, you know, I'm a a Trump supporter. First of all, I think that his uh, statement was incorrect. I don't think that uh, the fact that uh, Republicans didn't do as well as expected was the fault of the pro-life movement, or even substantially the fault of the pro-life movement. And beyond that, look... um, when you're talking about life, there are certain things you don't compromise about. Now, the messaging, you can, you know, massage to make sure that you don't hurt your message. Uh, but I didn't see any difference in the messaging from the pro-life movement this time around. And I'm pretty involved in, and cued uh, into these things. But uh, I didn't see any difference between this round and previous rounds. Yes, Dobbs had been decided. But because Dobbs had been decided, I actually saw less messaging around the pro-life issue than I had before. Maybe I missed something, but in the past, I saw far more messaging of the sort that Donald Trump apparently seen. I, I, I kind well, of let, 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 let me let me interject, Pete, because this is what I think, and I and I said last week that I understood where the president was coming from. I think what he means is. The left got so fired up when the Dobbs decision came down and so livid about um, wanting to codify Roe um, since, you know, now the Supreme Court had made the decision it did and kicked this back to the states. They went so crazy that he's saying the Republicans or the pro-life Republicans needed to respond with something to calm them down, such as, look, we will still have the rape and incest rule. We will still have the the life of the mother, not health of the mother. There's a big difference there, of course, but the life of the mother exceptions. Um, in other words, I think what Trump was saying is we couldn't go from the extreme of what the left wanted, which is abortions anytime on demand for any reason, including uh, ninth month partial birth abortions, all the way to no abortions ever, not even in rape and incest, or even if the mother is going to die. He said that what the the messaging should have been pushed forward by the Republican pro-life, you know, caucus, if you will, uh, should have been, look, we, we do support the Dobbs decision. We do support uh, the, the decision going back to the states. And we also do understand the need for exceptions. If that had happened from a political standpoint, he said we would have won. Uh, he alluded to anyway, we would have won right. the wave that we were hoping for. Yeah, and I, I understood that. I, I simply don't know that that's what I saw in practice, his complaint about Republican messaging. I just didn't see that. I thought I saw from when I saw Republicans at the state level talking about it, they were talking about the fact that at the state level, it, it, you know, that Dobbs returned the issue to the states. And in a number of states, there was legislation, depending upon which state you were in, that had the three exceptions. 
they had those exceptions. Now, there was, I know, I can't remember which one, I don't know if it was Mississippi or, or a state that had no exceptions before, uh, after a certain point in time. Um, but then they repealed or they, they revised that before it was put to a vote of their uh, General Assembly. Again, I, if it's not Mississippi, then, then I apologize for being mistaken. Um, but I just don't know that he's correct in terms of the facts that he's talking about. Um, messaging is always important in the way you talk about things. I, I think even the most staunch pro-life people out there understand that politics is the art of the possible, and you've got to try to persuade people to your side. You maintain your core principles and try nonetheless to move the ball by messaging appropriately. My point is, I don't know that that wasn't done on the part of Republicans, maybe in one state, but I think the national Republicans weren't saying, at least that I saw, weren't saying, no, no exceptions. Uh, And also, let's face it, Donald Trump, whom I love, makes almost everything about himself. Uh, This wasn't about him. You know, there are certain things that aren't about Donald Trump, and Democrats like to make it about Donald Trump, too. Uh, but I think in terms of the pro-life message, the, the pro-life folks that I know, Molly Smith here in, in, in Cleveland, who does an amazing job, these are some of the most politically savvy people around and are also the most moral people around, and they work extremely hard to make sure that they can preserve every single precious life they can, and they know that it's important to message appropriately to do so. They don't capitulate but at the same time, they have to make sure they can persuade, persuade enough people, like they say, to make it possible to move the legislation in a pro-life direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there was any way to win this because there is, like I said, I think there's two points of view. There's the moral point of view, which says no, all, you know, life begins at conception and under any circumstances, no life should be taken, even in rape and incest. That's the moral point of view. And then there's the political point of view that says, you know, we cannot make the perfect the enemy the good here. We can save 30, 40, 50,000 lives uh, of, of unborn babies if we just grant the exceptions and, the, say, the 15-week rule that somebody had called for. Any, any, no abortions after 15 weeks. You've got plenty of time to make up your mind then. Even if you've been raped or, or the victim of incest, you've got plenty of time there to make that your mind up. But once the baby becomes pain-capable at around the four-month mark, et cetera, et cetera, you know, there's a political angle to this, too. And by the way, I agree with you when you say it's not always about Trump. But again, I'm going to defend him here on this angle. I don't think he was making it about himself. He was defending himself against the attacks because so many people blamed Trump for the outcome of the midterms and the lack of the wave, that Trump's endorsed candidates underperformed, Trump didn't deliver, blah, blah, blah. You know, he had no, uh, he has no more power, and I think he's trying to say, don't blame me for this. I don't think he was necessarily making it about himself. It's people made it about him, and he defended himself as a result. I think that's where he was going. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as I say, I think that it's, there are two different things here. Messaging is one thing. Yeah. You don't want to necessarily sacrifice or you don't want to do something that hurts your overall objective. And this has to be done in increments. It's been a long, it's been 50 years of increments, but it has to be done in increments. You can't simply pass something and hope that uh, or, or, you know, have an objective that can't be politically sustainable. You have to be able to convince hearts and minds. So messaging is completely, it sometimes can be uh, uh, divorced from the ultimate objective because you're trying to get to an objective without scaring off people that you need in order to form a necessary coalition to get to that objective. Um, 
The pro-life movement in general does a phenomenal job doing this. We have a long way to go. We have so many institutions that are arrayed against us. The entire media, most of the educational establishment, uh, most of the corporate establishment, almost everybody. But uh, I do think that we're making some progress. Not fast of us, fast enough for most of yeah. us. But again, when you're dealing with the Democratic Republic, you've got to be able to persuade. You've got to be able to get the votes. And messaging is extremely important in that regard. It is. It is. And the Republican Party has to figure that out on a big picture scale, not just the quote unquote pro-life movement. Uh, but the Republican Party has to figure out how it's going to handle this going forward, because there's no doubt that abortion did play a big role in the uh, turnout for the Democrats in these uh, midterms. Peter Kersenow, just getting started. Holy cow. Don't know how the vote is going to go today, but we'll have a new speaker, we would imagine, sometime by the end of the day today. And we'll react to it again with you very soon, Peter Kersenow. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. That's Kirsten out on AM 1420 The Answer. It's now 1055. Quick time out. Always Right Radio, AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we're going to start that again at nine minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock. Uh, thanks for being with us. Hour number three is underway on this Tuesday. It's the third morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you so much for being with, with us. Uh, Peter Kersenow, last half hour, last hour really joined us talking about everything from the terrible Monday night football tragedy last night to the Kevin McCarthy tragedy in the making today. And we're going to expand upon that and get to the tragedy that is unfolding in Columbus as it pertains to the Ohio GOP and their supermajority of Republicans who had all voted to make Derek Marin the Speaker-elect for the Ohio House of Representatives. Now it is all crumbling. It is all coming apart thanks to rhinos and Democrats uh, who are masquerading as Republicans, joining with Democrats who actually identify as such to uh, upend the entire thing. We need an expert who is understanding of what's going on in Columbus right now, and that's why we turn to our good friend Jack Windsor 
Jack is the editor and founder of the Ohio Press Network. Jack is also my co-host on our podcast that we do. We're going to get back to tonight, by the way, uh, talking smack with Bob and Jack. And uh, Jack Windsor, welcome to 2023, my friend. Happy New Year. How are you this morning? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Uh, happy 2023 to you. And Here's to this being the best year yet, my partner. Amen, Amen to that. It can't be any worse than the last one. That I think we can be assured of. Um, Amen. All right, Jack, um, this is so complex. Um, mm-hmm. I need you to try to simplify it for us. Let's try to make this sure. clear. We, yep. I have for the last few years <clears throat> just been railing at the complete uh, incompetence of the Republican Party, um, wasting a red state the way no other state in the country does. Because we're red kind of in name only, just like we're Republican in name only. We have a massive majority in the uh, Ohio General Assembly, and they can't get out of their own way. They can't govern to do the will of the people, the people who voted for them, the people who put them in power. Um, I have just been mesmerized at their, their refusal to do what they were, they were put into office to do. So now I finally get a little bit of a reason for hope. We learn a little bit about Derek Marin who's got a reputation as being one of the strongest conservatives in the Ohio House. And he is the guy they chose to be the speaker. And it's a phenomenal, great, great turn of events here. Maybe we can actually start doing the work of the people. Only to find out before we get to that vote to confirm his, him as the speaker, members of his own party have turned on him. And thus, on all of us. Jack Windsor, what the hell is going on? Well, Bob, there's so much inside baseball here, but in short, there are six to eight representatives who are trying to sell House members from both parties on the idea that Derek Marin isn't the guy and that Jason Stevens is. Um, and really, it's reminiscent of what former Speaker Larry Householder did to win his spot in 2018 when he defied convention, partnered with political adversaries, largely Democrats, and he overthrew a sitting speaker at that time. Um, his protege, if you will, uh, Jay Edwards, talked with me for a good 35 minutes yesterday. And after my conversation with Scott Lips this morning, um, Scott Lips wanted me to know very clearly that Jay Edwards wants me and everyone else to think that he's a clean-cut football player and that uh, he's not making phone calls for Jason Stevens. And uh, Scott Lips said, no, he's not only not he's, he's not only making phone calls, he's behind this. He's using the model that is the exact same that Larry Householder used, which is to undermine, to create chaos, to separate the troops and to take power. My question has been uh, to Scott Lips and, gosh, uh, probably 18 lawmakers that I've talked with in the last week. Why is this happening? Here's what I've come up with. This is the consensus, strong consensus. There were promises made to lobbyists. I think Jason Stevens thought he was going to win the Republican nomination. Names like Troy Judy, Chad Hawley, Doug Price, uh, Van Meter, those, those names, which, by the way, if they sound familiar, those are householder folks, um, were made, commitments were made to them. And then, really, there's a lust for people uh, to be in a position of power. So there are some lawmakers who... Um, maybe aren't going to be on Derek Marin's leadership team. And it's kind of like in third grade when you didn't get picked for the kickball team. 
you know, you want to take the ball and go start your own game. Um, and, and that's kind of the essence of it. So without going in too deep into the master details, uh, essentially Derek Marin is the speaker elect. Republicans chose him fairly and squarely in their caucus vote in November. And since that time, there's been a, a group of people and, uh, I'll name those people. I think please do. I was going to ask you to do that anyway. Um, John Cross, a Republican from Kenton, Jeff LeRae, Al Catrona from Canfield, Sarah Carruthers down in Hamilton, Jay Edwards in Nelsonville, and of course Jason Stevens uh, um, is from the Kitsill area. But um, those are the folks. Those are those are the folks behind this. And what does that mean today? It means that we're going into a session in the Ohio House where no one is really sure who's going to win the nom or who's going to win the gavel. Um, Derek Marin would need 50 votes, a majority of votes. I just got word this morning that uh, a Democrat uh, went on record last night with a Republican lawmaker and told him, uh, so Jessica Miranda, uh, Scott Lips said, hey, she was arrogant. She was boastful. And she said 32 Democrats will be in session and they will be voting as a block today. And his thought was that that block is going to go for Jason Stevens. And he said, we've empowered a supermajority because they were offered something. Well, Bob, my question to Jason Stevens and Jay Edwards would be, what did you offer the Democrats and why are you playing ball with them? Wow. This is a, this is a remarkable turn of events. Um, what can you tell us about Jason Stevens? Um, not a lot. Uh, you know, in my conversations with lawmakers, it's been, you know, he's, he's got six years where he could, you know, politic. And by the way, Derek has two. So the idea was, um, you know, Jason could be the guy in, in a couple of years. Um, and it, he could have kept his powder dry, not created the divisiveness. Although there was some speculation about, you know, a turn of events in a couple of years that might bring another person to the house to be speaker, uh, someone in the Senate. Um, but my understanding is he's extremely friendly to what you would call the lobbying class uh, around Capitol Square. So the lobbyists love him because he's a guy who will politic and, and do their bidding at the state house. And uh, they don't like Derek Marin because he's a guy who um, has a, a record of voting for what you would call uh, conservative pieces of legislation and uh, not playing ball with the lobbyists in some ways. So, in other words, Derek Marin is what the people actually want, the conservative, uh, a massive conservative base in the state of Ohio, and uh, that's not what the rhino base wants. Um, I'm reading your reporting uh, in the Ohio Press Network right now. Jack Windsor joins us on AM 1420, The Answer, if you just tuned in. And I'm reading your reporting. Can you tell us about uh, the conversation you had with a representative uh, who told you what John Cross told them? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, John Cross, um, by the way, was, you know, he was a freshman lawmaker back at the height of COVID, and I had a chance to sit in John Cross's office and talk with him in the past. But John Cross called this lawmaker and essentially said, you know, I'm kind of having buyer's remorse here, right? Um, I think Derek was the wrong guy. I, I think he's having a problem getting people uh, on his leadership team and getting committee assignments. He's not doing a good job of communicating. Gosh, this is just chaos. Do you feel the chaos? I mean, you know, we probably need to go a different direction. I mean, that I'm, that's not verbatim, but that's kind of the, yeah. you know, the tone of it. Now, my understanding is that um, <laughs> there was some uh, tactical uh, 
maneuvering behind this. So uh, the belief is that there is a meeting of those folks, the Crosses, the Catronas, Carruthers, so on and so forth, folks that I named. And um, they decided, like, okay, who are you closest with that might be in the middle here and undecided? And so they had those folks call the people that they were closest with. And, I, again, I just got off the phone with Scott Lips, so I'm going to talk more about my conversation with him because it was most recent. But he said, you know, that's what happened to me. Sarah Carruthers called me, and she, he said, you know, she did the same householder playbook, right? Chaos, division, and it was, um, you know, nobody likes Derek. He can't fill his staff. Gosh, he can't be a good leader. Look at what he did in lame duck session when he didn't let, um, when he didn't get Save Women's Sports Act passed as part of that other bill. Like, how can we rely on this guy to be a leader? And so, you know, <laughs> they're, they're sowing discord and disunity and then pointing at Derek Marin and saying, um, well, look, you're, you're a bad leader. Uh, people aren't wanting to follow you. There's a lot of doubt here. Um, it's really interesting. It's, it's politics, Bob. It's what it is. It's it's uh, it's politics behind the scenes that guys like you and I who have an appetite for inside baseball really love. But at the end of the day, I think here's how I would say it. Um, you know, there are a lot of people I know who go to the grocery store and prices are high. There are a lot of people I know who are paying a lot of money for gasoline. There are a lot of people I know who are concerned about what's going in our, our going on in schools in the state of Ohio, and they want that fixed. And so I guess the question is, uh, for people like Sarah Carruthers, John Cross, Al Catrona, Jason Stevens, you know, you've got a chance to do something. And, and what you're doing right now is fighting over who has the gavel. What the hell does that mean to the average Ohioan? I, and so, you know, I love that you and I can get inside baseball, but sometimes I take a step back and I go, you have a super majority, and this is what you're doing with your power. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. It's why I have deemed the Ohio Republican Party to be the very worst organization in the state, maybe in the country. They are a waste. Whether it's led by Bob Paduchik at the at the ORP level or or, or Timken before that, uh, the leadership in the General Assembly, it is simply reprehensible that they can't get anything done for the people in the state that gave them all of this almost unilateral power. I mean, the supermajority, they could, they could override any Republican governor or Democrat governor, and they won't use their power the way the people intended them for, for them to do. Now, let me ask you this about yeah. all of that, because you're talking yeah. about the people who are coming out against Eric Marin, and they're being very vocal about it, and they're trying to, as you say, sow discord and then say, look at that. Look at all the chaos here that uh, is going on, and Derek Marin can't handle it. Well, they're the ones who are creating it. But, but, mm-hmm. but from my understanding... And I've been listening very, very closely over the course of the last couple of weeks, trying to get something from Derek Marin, and all I'm getting is that. Crickets. Why is Derek Marin not speaking out about this? He won't take my calls. To my understanding, he won't take anybody's calls. He's not talking to media. You reached out to him in this reporting that you wrote about this story and said, got nothing again. Why is Derek Marin not doing something to defend himself and exposing these Jason Stevens, you know, this Jason Stevens cabal, if you will, for what they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fear tactics. I'm going to give you an example and then speak directly to the Derek Marin situation. So Thomas Hall is a sophomore lawmaker, and he's apparently somebody who's on the fence. And his conversation with uh, one of the six, uh, I think it was John Cross, apparently went something like this. Um, you know, Thomas, you're, you're a superstar. You've, you've passed six pieces of legislation and you're, you're, you're on your way up in this party unless, unless 
you don't get on Team Stevens, and then you're done. Um, well, that's fear. I mean, there have been people who were who opposed Larry Householder, who ended up having you know committee leadership positions. So it's it's fear at the at the heart. It's of more it, than fear. fear. It's almost it's almost coercion. It's almost exploitation. I mean, uh, there's a lot of words you can call it. Yeah, and so in the article I wrote, and I'll, I'll clean up the language here, darned if you do, darned if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think Derek Marin is in one of those situations, and I'm speculating, but this is what other lawmakers have told me. If he comes out and says, hey, look at this coup d'etat that's underway, all of a sudden you give fodder to these uh, Team Stevens folks who then go to the media, who then go to other representatives who are undecided and go, look, how can this guy be a leader? He's he's airing our dirty laundry. And so, you know, it's darned but if you do. But they're the ones right? dirtying the laundry. Touche. But again, Bob, you and I are inside baseball. Does the average Ohioan know really what's going on behind the scenes? So they have an appetite for it. You know, we have we have a vote in Washington D.C. today. Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes to be speaker. That's going to tie up a lot of brain power and bandwidth for a lot of people. And when you get down to the state level, do people really? And I think this is what these folks bank on. If I'm being just totally transparent, I think they think one, they're going to forget. Two, they may never find out. And three, you know, who cares? I'm going to get what I want. And at the end of the day, um, you know, people are forgetful and they're forgiving. So, you know, I I think that's part of it, right? I I think that people just maybe don't pay attention or they don't pay attention enough. Um, And that's why you and I work so hard every day, Bob, so that we can bring the message, the truth to Ohioans, and let them decide. Now, what they do with this information is up to them. But, man, um, if if Tom Hall or Tom Patton or Gail – Pavliga or my representatives, I understand these are people who are in the middle and torn. My butt would be on the phone calling them and saying, you know, giving yeah. them a healthy dose of what I think. Um, I, I, but still, I, I think that's why Marin hasn't called. If, I still, if I I still think that's a huge tactical mistake. I think he absolutely needs to tell every Republican voter who gave them the majority that they have uh, what's going on here. Look, I mean, how, how bad could it be? For Derek Marin to call uh, pu- public attention to the fact that Republicans are are literally conspiring with Democrats to take away the Republican power that was given to them by Republican voters. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about this, what this really means here, and you wrote it, <clears throat> Stevens needs support from Democrats and 18 Republicans to succeed. Um, you know, if Republicans are willing to deal with Democrats and actually give the Democrats what they want in a speaker, mm-hmm. you know, if they can't have their own Democrat speaker, they want their own Republican speaker that they can kind of control mm-hmm. to an extent, and that would be Stevens. And if I'm Derek Marin, I want everybody to know that. The, this, this Republican majority that wants Jason Stevens is essentially turning Democrat. How can that hurt him? I think that can only help him, and then when each of these individuals are up for re-election, uh, that Republican voters are going to send them packing. At least that's what should happen. Yeah, and so I think a couple of things. Um, I do know, um, thinking back on the multiple conversations I had while I was over Christ- on Christmas break, um, several people said to me, well, look, don't assume that Derek Maron isn't calling people who are saying he's not calling them. Um, several lawmakers said, look, I've called these guys. They don't return my call, and they're telling other people that I'm not communicating with them. So, you know, to assign honesty to every one of these people would be simply foolish. Uh, I also uh, understand that Derek Marin's father passed away over Christmas over Christmas break, um, and so I'm sure that plays into, you know, his communication a little bit. Um, but to your point, like, let's be really honest here. 
if you have a Democrat, um, and by the way, I'm not saying I support Democrats or Republicans. I'm just saying from a strategy vantage point, if you if you have a Democrat who's boastful about, well, look, we have a block of 32 and we're going to vote and we're going to, you know, they're in the minority. Your party's in the supermajority. You've empowered Democrats. Who are the Democrats? The Democrats are the people who say that um, anybody who wants to limit abortions to certain things are, are just alt-right crazy people. They're people who say that anyone who thought masks didn't work and didn't want to take the vaccine were conspiracists, anti-vax, anti-science, and dumb. They're people who think that what's going on in our schools with LGBTQ and teacher union activists is okay. And if you rise against it and say, no, I want my beliefs to be instilled in my kid, and I want to have the first right of refusal as a parent, you're considered some homophobe. Like, these are the people that you're empowering. Bob, it's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting to me. And at the end of the day, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun, right? Deception and the promise for power. That's it. And it's really Jack, a shame. Jack, yeah. I apologize, Jack. I'm going to interrupt you there because I've got to get a break here and then we got to get to our news. But I want you to stick if you can, because I want to talk yeah. about the other fight here, and that is the fight for the leadership of the ORP. Bob Paduchik has resigned and stepped down. Uh, coming up here in a few days, they're going to have to vote for his replacement. And there is some more GOP infighting and really disgusting corruption, as far as I'm concerned, uh, at the center of this as well. And I want to give, uh, I want you to give us an update on that as we continue. Jack Windsor staying with us. He's our state house correspondent for AM 1420 The Answer, and he is the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network. And he's back after the news. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Onward now at 1136. And by the way, on our first live broadcast of 2023, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, all of my sponsors, but particularly The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple with Mark King uh, for their ongoing support. This is the reason we have a three-hour show now is because of those two incredible business partners. Uh, so I highly recommend them to you for all of their great services that they offer, but also because they support this radio program, which I'm proud of. And I'm very proud that you do as well. All right. Um, we're going to go right back to Jack Windsor. Not a lot of time here to try to get phone calls or anything. Jack Windsor is our state house correspondent down in Columbus. He is also the founder and uh, editor of the Ohio Press Network. So, Jack, um, we talked about the mess that the Republicans have made of the speakership of the Ohio House. Now let's talk about the mess that is the chair of the Ohio Republican Party. Bob Paduchek, long, long time, strong arm, uh, you know, uh, um, a bully as far as I'm concerned, bullied you, bullied press, bullied me, uh, bullied uh, other members who wanted to run for the state central committee, <clears throat> is now out as he has decided to step down. On Wednesday of last week, the vice chair of the party, Brian Williams, who is also the chair of the Summit County Republican Party, uh, declared his candidacy. You wrote about that. Can you tell us where that stands now, what, three days away from their January 6th scheduled state central committee meeting? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Brian Stewart was late to the party. Some people had speculated that he would run. Uh, He attempted to potentially um, run, uh, if you remember late last year, uh, there was an op- or, excuse me, there was an effort to get Bapaduchik out of that seat. Um, and then, as you mentioned, he resigned shortly after the general election. So I don't think people were shocked that Williams threw his hat in the ring. Um, but it makes the race interesting. Uh, Jimmy Stewart is the guy that everyone has tagged as Bob Paduchik's heir apparent. Bob Paduchik, um, wrote an, uh, an op-ed actually in the Toledo Blade 
um, for a piece of legislation that would have benefited uh, Jimmy Stewart's uh, efforts. Um, he, he essentially is a lobbyist for, I think it's uh, Ohio Gas, um, which is the natural gas industry. But he's the guy that everyone has said, this is Bob's guy. So um, when Williams comes into the race, then all of a sudden it makes it interesting because um, before that, Hamilton County GOP chairman, Alex Triantafalu is an attorney, um, and he was uh, considered to be the top contender with Stewart. Um, and then, of course, you had Dale Fellows, who's the Lake County GOP. Uh, hold on, Jack. Hold on, Jack. What do you mean he was considered to be the top contender with Stewart? You mean the two of them were considered to be the top uh, yep. to yep. compete for that? Yes. Alex Triantafalu was, was probably the guy that maybe had a little bit of an edge um, because he's been you know, in the political game for a long time. Uh, seems to be moderate, but liked by people, you know, on both, I guess, in different factions. So you have the conservatives, you have the big business moderates, and, and then you have, um, uh, I don't know what else you'd call them, the, the pro-union rhinos or whatever. Yeah, that's um, fair. <laughs> I, I'm trying to label it correctly, but um, he, he seemed to be kind of neck and neck maybe in the lead. And then you had Dale Fellows and Gene Anderson, and then um, actually Matt Mayer told me that he would accept the position if – People came to him, but he wouldn't do the cattle call, and he wasn't real happy that I published that. But you know, my job is to tell the truth. So, um, as it stands now, with Brian getting into the race, here's here's where I think we're at. There's going to be consolidation. The way that this works, there'll be a first round of voting, and it, and in that first round, it's likely that nobody will get uh, the majority. And so the the you know the lowest rung people fall off and then they keep doing it. Um, I think when you get to the third round, it's going to be Jimmy Stewart, Brian Williams, and Alex Triantafalu. And if Alex T doesn't make it to the final round, I think it comes down to what does he do with his support? Does he give it to Jimmy Stewart? Does he give it to Brian Williams? Um, you know, I've heard scuttlebutt that he's making calls and offering some you know opportunities to people. Um, but I don't know at this point. It's it's going to come down uh, to the third round of voting. And if I had to guess, um, I would say Jimmy Stewart is is probably in in close to the poll position. But it's too close for me to call. So um, we'll see on Friday. Am I underestimating or maybe overstating um, the the horrific job that Bob Paduchik did? Because why would anybody in that, not anybody, because of course, you know, Bob Paduchik's supporters would, and sycophants would, would do this, but why would there be a majority? Why would there be a poll position for Bob Paduchik's hand-picked successor if Bob Paduchik brought such shame and disrepute to this, to this, uh, to the ORP that wouldn't allow the audits to take place, uh, that kicked press out, that gave money to, uh, gov- gubernatorial candidates before there were even endorsement votes? I mean, all the things that Bob Paduchik was responsible for, I thought were almost universally condemned by Ohio Republicans, but apparently not if they're willing <clears throat> to throw their support. The majority of them behind Stewart, who is his handpicked successor. Well, I think Bob, you you and I are probably cut from the same cloth. But we falsely assume sometimes that these folks care more about constituents than they do the power brokers that they run in circles with. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, summing it up, December twenty eighth, Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert tweeted retweeted our article and said Ohio deserves better than Brian Williams, who is the worst county party chairman in Ohio and a total clown. Uh, sources told me, you know, inside and close to this race, much more than I am, that, okay, that, that is a warning shot. That is, um, 
That is Bob Paducek getting to Madison and saying, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's throw this guy under the bus. And so, you know, I would say that the same elements that are present in the Ohio speakers race, you know, fear, right? So I would imagine Bob Paducek is extremely well connected nationally and here in Ohio. And so it's, hey, you're on the right track. But if you don't, right, it's, it's just the threat. It's the, it's the fear. It's the promise of, you know, $3,000 bottles of bourbon and, you know, a nice seat when Donald Trump comes to town. It's, it's politics, man. It's, it's, it's highbrow, um, elite, elitist class politics. It is all of that, Jack Windsor, and you did a great job of uh, laying this out. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with both of those races for the Speaker of the Ohio House and for the Ohio Republican Chair. We're going to discuss those things tonight, by the way. We're going to have a return after a bit of a holiday hiatus due to a few different reasons, not the least of which is the holidays themselves. Um, Talking smack with Bob and Jack has been off the last couple of weeks. We will return tonight doing a live cast, live podcast uh, on uh, Facebook and on YouTube. Although, I don't know about YouTube anymore. They they took down our last episode because they didn't like us talking about various things like covid uh with things that you know that they disapproved of so of course we knew to expect that uh, youtube is owned and run by google and google has no interest whatsoever in truth or facts but we'll try to do it live on those uh platforms so if you want to be a part of it and ask questions you can do that otherwise you can just listen to it when it's done wherever it is that you get your podcast but live tonight 7 p.m bob and jack talking some smack jack windsor terrific reporting keep us uh, posted and we'll talk to you tonight God bless you, Bob. Looking forward to tonight. Thank, Thank you. you, Jack. Thanks to Jack Windsor. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. Thanks to our team, and thanks to you for listening. Appreciate that very much. Look forward to talking to you again tomorrow right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Be Let's well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow.